0: Well, hey, good morning. morning. Glad to see you today. My name is Josh, and I have the privilege of serving as one of Bridgewater's pastors. And uh, we find ourselves in the final week of a four-message set uh, called uh, I Quit. We're talking about getting rid of fear, getting rid of worry, getting rid of anxiety, things that no matter what we call them, all of us face to one degree or another. I'm really thankful that you have chosen to make being here a part of your weekend and uh, hope that. As we go through today, go through God's word today, you are encouraged, you are blessed, you are equipped as well. If you've missed any of the past three messages in this series, let me encourage you, hop on our podcast uh, or uh, go to um, bridgewater.church online and check out all three of those previous messages. All of us wear uh, fear, anxiety, or worry, or preoccupation, or concern differently. We have different words for it, different names for it. Some of us are unwilling to admit we're afraid. Others of us would just say, ah, we're just kind of mulling things over. But no matter how it is, all of us face it to some degree. Some of us are like a duck on the water where... From first glance, it looks like we're just fine, but underneath the surface, it's just going crazy down there. Others of us, we wear anxiety on our sleeve. You just know, you can just kind of feel it. Sometimes you walk in a room and you just sense that something is off, someone is tense, and you want to do something about it. No matter how you slice it, fear is a terrible boss. Almost everything fear says is a lie. Yet so many of us find that we continue to punch the clock and work for fear and continue to serve him all the time. I'm here to tell you, we don't have to. You don't have to. And, and I'm confident to say... No matter what's going on in your life, God's word speaks to it in some way to help you be and do all that you need to be and do in the place where you are right now. Now, I love a good dad joke. I'm a good dad for jokes. Um, And precisely one out of my four kids loves dad jokes as well. And one of my favorite, one of the classic dad jokes is, don't just do something, stand there. Right. It's a dad joke laced with sarcasm because, you know, there's a problem and people are just kind of watching and no one's really doing anything about it. And so a good dad would say, don't just do something. Stand there. It's really the opposite of what we want people to do, because typically when we're in panic mode, when something happens, we want to rush in there. We want someone to rush in and rescue someone to rush in and help. And in our day and age of instant gratification and self-sufficiency, just standing there doesn't seem like any kind of a solution that we want to be a part of our life. But what we're going to learn today is that sometimes just standing there is exactly what we need to do. Look at these verses from Psalm 46, verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord God Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In a few minutes, we're going to back up to the beginning of Psalm 46. So if you have a Bible or a device and you want to navigate to Psalm 46, go ahead and do that now. We're just going to camp there all morning long. All right? So if you're new to the Bible, as we all once were, just open up. To halfway, ask your friend, elbow him, and say, How do I get to Psalm 46? They'll be more than happy to show you how to get there. We're talking about fear. And I think in many ways, fear is the opposite of stillness. Stillness is what God commands us to do here. And so if we're gonna quit fear, we need to do the opposite of fear. And so to help us sort of flesh this out, here are some contrasting words related to stillness or peace and fear. We've got fear and peace, shaking as opposed to calm, running as opposed to resting, fighting as opposed to harmony, worrying as opposed to waiting, plotting, trusting, talking, listening as opposed to, you know, just trying to talk your way out of something. Sometimes you just need to listen. Pacing as opposed to rocking. It's interesting, you know, being a dad, when my kids were little, um, I would pace from time to time, but not when I wanted to calm them down. When I wanted to calm them down, what did I do? I found the rocking chair, right? Or I'd stand there, and I'd just rock and back. I still do it. I, even if the baby's sound asleep, I, I will still, if I'm holding the baby, I'll just kind of naturally rock. Something peaceful about it. We got tense and relaxed. We got fast versus slow and natural versus forced. All right, so this is just to help our understanding of stillness or peace and fear or worry. And think about it. Even when someone is frozen in fear, something else is highly active. What is that? Is it not their heart? Is their heart not just racing? So even when you're frozen in fear, your body is actually very, very active. You don't have to teach someone To be afraid, fear is natural. Peace, peace is not natural. Now, fear is not bad. Fear is a God-given response to danger. So if you're walking on the sidewalk and a car careens up onto the sidewalk towards you, fear is a gift. Fear is wonderful. Fear helps with that fight or flight sense. of You got to get out of there. If a dog approaches you growling and frothing at the mouth, you need to be afraid. You need to do something about it. But over 90% of the time, we're afraid and there is no enemy. We're just afraid. There's no one to fight. There's no one to run from. What do you do then? I think one common response is just stuff it. You just stuff your fear. You don't tell anyone. You don't open up about it. It, you You just hold it. You don't know how to hold it because it's very uncomfortable and awkward to hold, but you end up holding it. And, And you know, your body tells the story. Your body pays the price. Your chiropractor gets the bill, right? You get the bill from the chiropractor. Your body keeps score. You get headaches. Your stomach churns. Why? Because you're afraid and you've got nothing to do with it. It just sits on you uncomfortably. I think another common response to fear is maybe you don't stuff it. You just push it onto others. You just always are talking about it. You're always talking about yourself, really. And sometimes it comes out as anger. You lash out. You're afraid, so you lash out. I think sometimes the angriest people we know are the people who are most fearful. Dealing with anxiety. There was a time when my, my dad, my brother, and I were driving, uh, coming home from hunting. We hit a dog. Uh, it was really, really sad, and, and we... We stopped and we scooped this little, I think it was a little beagle, scooped it up, and, and we took it in, and, and we, you know, checking its tag, and to take it to the owner and then to the vet just to try to fix this thing, and I remember my dad saying, don't try to pet that dog. Like, we wrapped it up, but he said, don't pet it. I'm like, but it was so cute, right? And it was hurt, and I just, all you want to do is just, and, and I couldn't help myself. All I wanted to do is just reach out and, and tell that little thing it was going to be okay, and it just snarled and snapped at me. Why? It doesn't know what to do. It's afraid. It's lashing out. And, and we're like that too. We can do that too. But I think there is a third option that doesn't have to be stuffing it, it doesn't have to be pushing it onto others. You know what we can do? We can submit it. We can submit our fear to something greater than our fear. And that's what we want to learn to do this morning, to submit our fear to something greater. It really is pretty simple. It's not easy to do, but it's very simple in what it is. So let's go back to Psalm 46 and discover how to quit fear and wait on God. Verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Step one. Here it is. Be still you're looking for something profound, something deep, it's right there. It just says it. Be still. That's it. Stop hiding, doing, making, taking, talking, and fretting. Just stop. This is the exact opposite of everything that our mind and our body is telling us to do in the moment when we are worked up about something. Fear screams at us, do something. Fear screams at other people, do something. How do you fight that? By doing the exact opposite. Exact opposite. Just stop. Every thought, every impulse in your body and your mind will be telling you not to stop, will be telling you to just go, to just do something. You touch everything, you you pace, you're all around, you're talking, you don't know what to do, you just can't settle down. Stop. Just stop. Fretting and worrying is not helping you. What we're not talking about here is some kind of Christian fatalism where you're just not gonna do anything. Some people, some people will do that. They're just they're they're actually lazy and they're afraid to do anything, so they don't do anything. And they just say, oh well, it's in the Lord's hands. You know. How come you're not looking for a job? Well, it's in the Lord's hands. He wants to provide me a job, he'll he'll bring me one. How come you're not seeing the doctor about that? It's in the Lord's hands. How come you didn't contact that family member to try to restore your relationship? That's in the Lord's hands. There are times when there are things that we can and should do. Reading in Nehemiah this past week about uh, his burden over over Jerusalem, his home city, and he was upset about it. And when the king approached him about what to do, he prayed, and then he went to work. He asked the king, hey, would you help me? He did something about his burden. So be still doesn't mean be lazy. Be still does not mean disengage. It doesn't mean make excuses. So much of what God asks us to do is action. Go, serve, pray, love, listen, share, action words. That's what we need to do. But sometimes there's nothing you can do. And that's when we usually get the most wound up, is when we feel powerless about what we're facing, and that's the moment when we most need to be still. I've actually spoken with a counselor about um, telling someone, just stop it. There's actually a funny Bob Newhart clip. You could look it up on YouTube sometime. Not now, but later on. You can look it up uh, where someone's visiting him as a counselor and talking about their problems, and he's like, stop it. Well, then I have this, and I often struggle, and I do that. Stop it. And that's not what we're talking about. But this counselor did share that sometimes when someone's wound up, simply saying, as I did earlier, stop, will actually short-circuit what's happening in their brain and and open up a window to be able to interject some hope, interject some help. So sometimes we do need to literally just stop. Stop. When was the last time you just sat for 15 minutes? You weren't weren't watching TV. You weren't listening to music. You weren't even reading your Bible. You weren't necessarily even praying. You weren't journaling. You just stopped. And you're like, I don't have time to do that. You do if you weren't journaling, reading, listening, watching. We do, we have time. When's the last time you just spent 15 minutes sitting alone with God? Just being with him. When you're close with someone, when you're very comfortable, you're okay with silence. Kristen and I were on a trip last week, just a quick day trip, out and back, and I don't know how long it was, but she wasn't angry. I wasn't angry. She wasn't bothered. I wasn't bothered. You know what we didn't do? Talk. We're just in the car, at peace, just together. It was fine. It was good. It was nice. And then after a while, started talking. It was great. But what's your impulse? What's your impulse when you're watching TV and a commercial comes on? What's your impulse when you get in the car and hopefully aren't driving? You grab your phone, right? You fill that time. Oh, okay, break in the action, phone. So what is there? Continual action. And I'm not down on phones. I use my phone. I have a phone. Our phones only give us the ability to do what our heart already wants to do and makes it very, very easy for us to do it. Our minds are, vi- are very busy. Our lives are very busy. And the phone just fills every single gap. So, we just don't have any margin. We don't have time to just decompress and shut it down a little bit. And being still is the exact opposite of what our culture tells us to do. Because still people, people with leisure time, you're like, what? You got nothing to do? What are you, lazy? No, it it used to be in culture. We're reading a book as a staff called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the author John Mark Comer addresses the fact that it used to be in culture: people with leisure time were the wealthy. They were, they were like, their money worked for them. People worked for them. They had leisure. They could go golfing, join the club, whatever. Now, no, 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 no. Success and wealth is busy. In fact, when someone asks how you're doing, the correct answer is busy. Just say busy, and people will have respect for you. Oh, wow! that must be very, it must be very, very important. Very busy. Oh, good for you. This is what our culture is telling us to do, all right? You're waiting for the microwave. You're pulling up to the, to the light and there's two, there's two traffic lanes and you get to the shortest one. Why? Because you need that seven seconds you're going to get. It's got to have it. It makes all the difference. So listen, if we want to be as stressed and anxious as everyone else, then just go ahead and let's live like everybody else. But if we think there might be a better way and that God might have provided something better for us, then we need to make different choices, do things differently. And that means we just need to stop. Just be still. But the psalm, that's not all it says. It also encourages us in the stopping then to do this, to know God. Very, very simple. Be still know God. The word know in this psalm means to recognize, reflect on, understand, and know by experience. Be still and know. That is reflect on, understand, recognize what? That I am God. Don't confuse the stillness of Psalm 46 with Eastern meditation. Hindu, Buddhist, New Age religions will encourage just clearing your mind. Just empty it out. An empty room, white walls, sterile, nothing there. But you know, there's something, that's true-ish, but there's something more peaceful than an empty room with sterile white walls. How about a nice clean room with a, a, a couch? Blanket over it, a couple pillows. Beautiful artwork on the wall. Peaceful rippling brook going through a meadow, some trees in the background. That's nice. That's nice. So the idea here is not just empty your mind of everything, but replace the busyness in your mind with fixing our mind on God, reflecting on him, recognizing him, experiencing him like that. Now, don't get me wrong. An empty, sterile, white room is far more peaceful than a cluttered, messy room room. But more peaceful than that still is replacing that emptiness with something meaningful, something helpful. And that's what the psalmist is telling us to do. I think one of the best things to do is to fixate on God, fix our mind on God in nature. A starry night, a walk in the woods, a canoe on the lake, whatever it is, finding some place to commune with God like that is really, really helpful. You don't always have to have the earbuds in. You don't always have to have something going on. Just, <sighs> sounds nice, doesn't it? Today's culture says, Mm-mm. but I don't think culture necessarily is our biggest enemy. Sometimes I think we are our biggest enemy when it comes to doing this. We're afraid of what we might think about. We're afraid of actually being alone with God. And maybe we're not even convinced that God is actually greater than what we're worried about. Maybe we don't know him that well. So what we're going to do is go to the Bible, go to his word, because we come to know God through his word. Who is this God we are told to no. Who is he? Let's go back to verse 1. We're just going to slow drag our way right through this psalm. Here's what verse 1 says. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. God, is he's a refuge. He's, a, he's your strength. He's... He's where you go. But he's not just a refuge. If God was simply a refuge, then he's just a rescue, and you just blow the horn, you, you just blow the whistle, you call his name whenever you need help, and he'll come running. But he's not just a refuge, though we treat him that way sometimes. It says he's our strength as well. He's the source of how we do what we do. He's the motivating and the energizing factor in our lives. He's our refuge and strength. He's the power and the will to face this life. He's not a crutch or a last resort. He is the strength that motivates and guides us. And he's an ever-present help in trouble. And I think here's where sometimes we get confused. We think if God would just intervene in my life, my trouble would go away. Come to God, all your troubles go away. Come to God and everything changes, it gets better. He's an ever-present help in trouble, not a replacement of trouble. You got that? He is with you in trouble. God entering your life doesn't mean trouble goes away. It means God has entered your life. I mean, let's face it. Everyone faces trouble. Everyone undergoes difficulty. The difference is God is in and with some of us through it. And others are just completely alone. Do you know him like that? Be still and know God. Look at verses two and three. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Man, in case verse 1 wasn't clear enough on whether we'd experience trouble or difficulty, I think verses 2 and 3 clear it up. He lists some terrible things. But we have nothing to fear, even the worst earthquake or tsunami. Look at this picture. The 1960 Valdivia earthquake hit off the coast of Chile. Since the, uh, we started taking seismic uh, recordings, this is the largest earthquake ever to have been recorded on the Richter scale. 9.5 on the Richter scale. It actually affected every part of the Pacific Ocean. It produced an 82-foot tsunami wave on the coast of Chile. Not only that, it recorded that uh, the wave hit Hawaii almost 15 hours later and 6,200 miles away with a wave that was 35 feet high. It also resulted in the eruption of a nearby volcano. Here's some of the the damage that it did. This is just, you know, the street. But look at the actual road here in the next photo. Yikes. Talk about the earth opening up. And what does the psalmist say about stuff like this? We will not fear. Why not? Because it's not about the what or about the why. It's about who? It's about who? It's about God. Do you know God like that? I've got to ask myself whether I know God like that, because the truth is, I can see God in circumstances like that far easier than I can see it in the daily inconveniences and bothers of my life. When you tick me off, I struggle to see God in that. When there's an earthquake or a tsunami, okay, it must be God. But when people Metal and are harmful and mean, I struggle. Do you? I think this psalm speaks to that as well. So let's keep going. Verses four to six. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. This is highly poetic language, and poetic language is often Symbolic, And I think that's the case here. What river has streams that flow around the city where God lives? There's no rivers that flow near Jerusalem. I've been there. Definitely did not walk through a river around Jerusalem. But verses 4 and 5 are a contrast to verses 2 and 3 and also verse 6. Mountains are being cast into the sea. The earth is melting. Nations are in uproar. But right in the middle of that destruction and chaos is, a, is an Eden-like peace flowing right through the middle of it, where God lives. Both the Garden of Eden in the beginning in Genesis 1 and the Holy City in Revelation talk about, they have this imagery of a river running right through it. It's the imagery of peace. So he says, be at peace, knowing that all that God has to do is lift his voice. And by the way, when he lifts his voice, the psalmist says it sounds like thunder but the earth melts when he does. He will handle the wicked. He will handle evil. You don't have to fear or fret or worry about their schemes. He will protect you if he is your God. This has implications for both Russia and Ukraine. This has implications for our nation, for the job market, for the political and socioeconomic climate. It has implications for all of it. Do you have that peace? May 16th is coming. Do you have that peace? Verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, th- there's this great account of Elisha, the prophet, about 700 B.C., where uh, he's he and his servant um, are camped, and, and they wake up. Early in the morning, the servant goes out and sees that they're surrounded by a huge army of Arameans. This is in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. And the servant comes back and reports to Elisha, We're in trouble. And Elisha, I just imagine him chuckling. He says, Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This is Psalm 46:7. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. This little account is a great picture of what it is to be still and know God. Though there's trouble all around, God is with you. You can be still. Ever notice fear is always worse when you're alone? It's why in scary movies when there's a group and, and the monster or villain is coming, what do they do? They split up. Like, no, like you could see that coming, right? But they don't. And it's what heightens the sense of suspense, right? Uh, because now they're singled out, they're spread out. And so the villain can just pick them off one by one. Being alone makes everything scarier. But for the follower of Jesus, we are never, ever, ever alone. I mean, this psalm opens up by saying God is an ever-present help, verse 1. It closes by saying the Lord Almighty is with us. And here in the middle it reemphasizes the truth, verse 5, God is within her, verse 7, the Lord is with us. When you're afraid, be still and know that you are not alone though you reach out to people over text and they don't respond, though you call and they don't pick up, though you are in trouble and no one comes by, no one swings by and says, hey, can I help? No one even notices that you're struggling. The follower of Jesus is never alone, ever, ever truly alone. The God of the universe is with you. Do you know him like that? Let's keep going, verses eight and nine. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes the wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Now these ideas seem like opposites, war and destruction and peace and stillness. But the truth is some people do not want peace. They feel the need to dominate others and oppress them. And so the God of peace works the destruction of evil so that there can be peace peace. Sometimes that is the only way to peace. So we've been through this psalm now. What do we have here? Here's what we have. Trouble, the earth giving way, mountains falling into the sea, waters roaring and foaming, mountains quaking, nations in uproar, kingdoms falling, the earth melting, desolations, wars, bows, spears, shields. What are we supposed to make of this? Here's what I think we make of this. Hope is not a place. Peace is not a place. Peace is not a circumstance. Peace is not a location, but peace is a person. And his name is Jesus. It's Jesus who, in the power of sin, held us shackled, set us free. It's Jesus who, when the wrath of God for my sin and yours, Was going to be unleashed on us, took our place, and died the death we were supposed to die to satisfy the wrath. Of God against us. Peace is Jesus, who, though he did nothing wrong and lived a perfect life, chose to be named among the sinners and die as a sinner so that we could be named righteous and be made right in our relationship with God. That is peace. That is Jesus. It's Jesus who made a way for enemies of God to become children of God so that we could be at peace with God when we never should have known peace with God. Jesus himself is our peace. So everything else around us can fall apart. But if God is with us in Jesus, then we have peace. Do you know him like that? If not, we want to help you know him like that today. Talk to the person who invited you. Talk to anybody here on stage, people with a blue and white name tag. We want to help you know Jesus like that. Now, if you do know him like that, we're going to take a moment and remember how he brought us peace and celebrate the fact that he did. You should have gotten a communion cup like this on your chair when you came in. Hopefully, you didn't sit on it. Um, Before we do all this, let me just explain. These are convenient They're not not incredibly uh, user friendly. Um, We know that, we're working on it. But let me explain to you what to do here. There's two two little lids on this. There's a a clear flimsy plastic film. You can just peel away and that will expose you to the little cracker, a little wafer there. After you do that, what you can do is you can just bend this tab right down until it snaps like that. And then you can gently peel that back and that will give you access to the juice. We're gonna eat together and then we're gonna drink together but we're not gonna do either of those things yet. This is where we remember the death of Jesus that brought us peace as he died in our place. And we wanna remember his sacrifice. For followers of Jesus, we celebrate the gift of Jesus taking our place, receiving our punishment so that we could be made right with God. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, this really means nothing to you. It doesn't save us, doesn't give us favor or grace with God. It's a way of remembering. It's a way of celebrating that followers of Jesus are commanded to do. Why don't we just quietly take a moment now to be still. Maybe for you, just close your eyes. Maybe just sit in the stillness and silence or maybe you just wanna begin talking to God. Let's, let's take a moment and be still. not right with Him, where you've sinned and need His forgiveness and confess that sin to Him. Ask Him to forgive you. He loves to do that. Prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 4-6 says, Surely He, that is Jesus, took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So let's all now remember him and celebrate as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Let's remember the broken body of Jesus for us as we eat together and take that cracker. And in remembrance of Jesus' broken body for us, let's eat together. shed as payment for our sin, we celebrate the salvation we have through Jesus as we drink together. Let's drink. Psalm 46, verse 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress. Would you pray with me? God, I wish that I could, I wish that I could tell everybody that when you, when you take over our life, our troubles go away. Just even in that moment, I wish that, I wish that they did even, but the truth is they don't and I can't do that. But truly you've done something even more remarkable than that because sin must be paid for and Jesus paid it. He paid it for everyone who had come to him by faith. And so there will come a day where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more trouble, no more fear. And it's because of you. So I pray that our confidence in you would grow today, our gratitude for you would grow today. And I pray that for some, faith would spring anew in you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Before refrigerators, people used to Uh, use ice houses to preserve their food. Ice houses had thick walls, no windows, and a tightly fitted floor. In winter, when streams and lakes were frozen, large chunks of ice were hauled into these ice houses and, and covered in sawdust. Often the ice would last long through the summer. One man lost a valuable watch while working in an ice house, and he searched diligently for it carefully raking through the sawdust, but he couldn't find it. His fellow workers pitched in and tried to help, searching all over the inside of this ice house for it, but their efforts proved futile. A well, small boy heard about the situation and slipped into the ice house during these men's lunch break and soon emerged with the watch. Amazed, the men asked him how he found it. "'I closed the door,' the boy replied, lay down in the sawdust,' and kept very still. Soon I heard the watch ticking. Often the question is not whether God is speaking, but whether you and I are still enough to hear his voice. I wonder what your next step is to just be still, just knowing God is with you. Could be unique to each of us, but would you commit to have the courage and confidence to take the next right step today? Thank think you've chosen wisely by choosing to be here with us this morning. I want to thank you for it. Thanks for taking time out of your weekend to be the church here with us. God bless you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you later.